Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Danny Strange. He is risen. You remember from last year. That was good. That was good. He is risen indeed. Our reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 22. Feel free to turn there if you would like. We'll be down in verse 31. Luke 22, 31. As you turn there, two things to understand in this passage. Number one, Simon is another name for Peter. So we'll use those two interchangeably. And number two, the eighth word in verse 31 is the word you, Y-O-U. The best translation for that word is the Texas y'all. But I'm not going to say y'all, I'm going to say you guys. But just so you know, when I say you guys, I'm not adding a word. They just didn't want to put y'all in the Bible. Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you guys as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Let's pray together as we dive into God's word this morning. Father, on this Easter Sunday, we proclaim that your son Jesus is risen from the dead. He tells us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us, and we pray that we would this morning. We pray for anyone who comes in here carrying Uh, burdens from the world, burdens from life, from sin, from family, from difficulties, that they would find freedom in dropping those burdens at the foot of the empty cross and worshiping the one who left the tomb empty on Easter Sunday. Release us from the pressure to do good so that you might accept us and help us to live in the freedom that Christ has won for us in his death and resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Simon. Simon. Satan has asked to sift you guys like wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. These were the kind of words that the Apostle Peter loved to hear. These were words where Jesus, his king, was giving him some authority in his kingdom. Peter, Jesus says, I have a job for you in my kingdom. I want you to serve me and strengthen your brothers. I want you to lead in my kingdom. Peter wanted nothing more than to lead in the kingdom of Jesus. From the very beginning, Peter is the one who is always calling out to Jesus and saying things like, Jesus, bid me to come out to you on the water. I want to walk on water too. Jesus, even if the other disciples fall away, I want you to know I will never fall away. You can count on me, Jesus. You can rely on me, Jesus. I can be great in your kingdom. I love you, Jesus. So Jesus turns to Peter and says, 
Satan wants to destroy this community, but I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail because I have plans for you to build up my church. There's a lot of honor in knowing that God has something great for you. But with great honor often comes great pressure. Imagine that you were on a basketball team and it's the championship game and there's five seconds left and you're one point down and you grab the ball and you call a timeout. And the coach gathers up the team and then hands you the ball. He says, James, James, this opponent would want nothing more than to tear this team apart, but our hope is in you, James, that you don't miss this shot. There's great honor in knowing that the coach and the team would rely on you to carry such a big burden on behalf of everyone, but there's a lot of pressure there. When everyone's looking at you, there's a lot of pressure. Some of you come from families where you didn't grow up in a Christian home, and yet Jesus found you and you found him, and and now you represent him, and there's great honor there. But today you go to brunch with a bunch of people who don't know Christ, and they all look to you to see what Jesus is like. There's a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of pressure when you feel like all eyes are on you to not mess this thing up. You feel like the strain in your marriage is going to tear you apart, but you can't break up because you're a Christian, and what will people think of Jesus? There's a lot of pressure there. There's a great honor in knowing that God has given us a stewardship to raise up our children in the way of the Lord, and we're honored that he would give us that privilege. But all of you parents know there's a lot of pressure there. What happens if they don't believe? What happens if they don't follow Jesus? Is is that on you? There's a lot of pressure there. Peter feels the honor and he feels the pressure in Jesus' words. And he comes back to his king and he says, Jesus, I will follow you. I'm ready to prison and to death. Jesus says, Peter, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus says, a time is coming when the world will turn against me and my disciples. You need to be ready for that. Everyone will hate you because of me. And the disciples look and they say, Jesus, here are two swords. Jesus says, those will be enough. And Peter finds himself in a garden where Jesus has put him and said, stand here and keep watch while I go off and pray. And again, Peter is honored that Jesus would choose him to be part of his inner circle in this garden, and yet the pressure is there. Keep watch. Don't let anything happen to Jesus. So Peter holds his sword, and he looks around into the darkness, but as the darkness grows darker, Peter's eyes grow heavier. And the next thing he knows, Jesus is in his face. Peter, Peter, wake up. Can't you keep watch for an hour? Sit here. Keep watch while I pray. Peter holds his sword and he tries to stay awake and tries to keep his eyes open. But the next thing he knows, he's fallen asleep and boom, now there's some men entering the garden led by Judas, one of the disciples. And in this surreal scene, these Roman guards come near Jesus and Judas betrays Jesus. And Peter realizes this is the moment that he's been waiting for and he springs to action. He pulls out the sword and he goes to take off the head of the Roman guard and he misses. 
And he gets his ear. And the ear just kind of... And Jesus says, am I leading a rebellion (laughs) that you come at me with swords? I will go willingly. And he heals the guy's ear and he allows himself to be taken away. Peter and the disciples scatter. Hopeless. Their king has been captured. Simon. Simon. Satan has asked to sift you guys like wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon. Peter knows he can't give up. He can't scatter like the other disciples. Jesus has prayed for him specifically that his faith would not fail. And so Peter and John go running after Jesus up the path, and they catch up to Jesus when he's captured in the house of the high priest. And John finagles their way into the courtyard where they find themselves around a fire. And I don't know what their plan was. Were they going to swing in on a rope and capture Jesus and free him from bondage? Would they think of something great to say to try to work Jesus out of his bind? Would John and Peter be able to stand up and represent Christ in a way that they would put off this trial, that they would release this man who had done nothing wrong? Peter and John stand by the fire, and then a woman recognizes Peter and says, wait, you were with him, weren't you? Peter says, woman, I don't know what you're talking about. And a guy comes up and says, no, 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 you're one of his disciples. Peter says, man, I I don't know, Jesus. (laughs) And he tries to kind of regather his thoughts, and an hour goes by, and Peter's trying to stay incognito, but then another guy recognizes him and says, no, 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 I can hear from your dialect. You're a Galilean. You're one of them. And Peter calls down curses on himself and says, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. And from the house of the high priest, Jesus and Peter make eye contact as a rooster begins to crow. And Jesus said it would happen. You will deny me three times. Luke tells us that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Have you ever wept bitterly? Have you ever failed God so bad that you just couldn't keep it in anymore? You told God you'd do the right thing. You told him you wouldn't mess up. You told him that was the last time you'd ever do that. And then you failed miserably and wept bitterly. Some of us who have been working so hard to keep things together have been weeping bitterly, not because we failed, but because the pressure is killing us. Peter wept bitterly because he failed at his mission. I will follow you, Jesus, to prison and to death. When Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to die on the cross, Peter said, no, Lord, I won't let that happen. Peter was going to save Jesus or die trying. There's a lot of pressure when you feel like it's your job to save Jesus from death. There's a lot of pressure that we feel when when we feel like if we mess up, it's going to make him look bad. That if our marriage falls apart, no one's going to believe in the gospel we've been preaching. If our kids walk waywardly, everyone's going to know it's because this whole thing's a farce and he'll look bad. There's a lot of pressure when we feel like it's our job to make him look good. 
It's a lot of pressure when we feel like we need to save Jesus. What Peter didn't understand was that though he wanted to save Jesus, Jesus wanted to save Peter. Jesus was going to die alone. Jesus was going to be betrayed by everyone, including Peter. Jesus was going to be bound and captured and tortured and crucified, and there was nothing anyone could do to stop it. No one would save Jesus. No one would die trying. He would be judged and forsaken by God on the cross alone. Because Jesus was going to the cross to save Peter and save John and save the disciples and save us. Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose victorious over sin. He rose with a message of forgiveness that those who look at him on the cross will receive the forgiveness that he earned. That those who believe in the power of the resurrection, in the resurrected Christ, would have their sins forgiven and they could walk in freedom. And Jesus left from that tomb and started meeting with people and explaining to them the freedom that comes with the resurrection and Peter was there in the upper room when Jesus visited him. Peter was there in the empty tomb looking for Jesus' body. Peter was with the disciples when they went up to Galilee to find Jesus. But Peter was mysteriously quiet now. And if you know Peter, you know this is quite a feat. Peter was the one who was always speaking up. Peter was the one who was making bold claims. Peter was the one who wanted to show Jesus he was trustworthy. And now Peter's silence reminds us that Peter had failed. Jesus had said, Peter, Satan wants to sift you guys like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And Peter wept bitterly because he failed miserably. As the disciples are in Galilee, Jesus appears and has breakfast with them. And he pulls Peter out of the group. And he says, Peter, Do you truly love me more than these guys? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter says, Jesus says, tend to my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Says, Feed my lambs. And then Jesus looks at him a third time and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Apostle John tells us that Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Jesus had also said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And now Peter is swept back to that courtyard where he had failed. It's a good thing Jesus didn't say, Peter, can I trust you? Simon, son of John, if I put you back into leadership, will you not mess it up this time? Peter, can you promise me that a charade like that will never happen again? It's a good thing he didn't ask any of those questions. But he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, look, Peter looks deep into his heart. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And Simon, Simon, 
Satan has asked to sift you guys like wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. And, and when you turn back, strengthen the brothers. When you turn back, tend to my lambs. Now that you've turned back, feed my sheep. Because Simon, your faith has not failed. You're here, aren't you? Imagine you're on a basketball team. The coach hands you the ball and you miss the shot. The buzzer rings, the other team storms the field, and your teammates hang their heads as you run out of the gymnasium weeping bitterly. You find yourself in the locker room and trying to be left alone, and yet your coach comes to you and, and sits down next to you on the bench as you're facing your locker, and he says, James, James, our opponent would want nothing more than for this loss to end your career forever. But my hope is in you, James, that your love for the game will stay ignited. That next year when you come back, you would come out for the team so that I can make you the captain. You know, the context is a very powerful thing, isn't it? If Peter had understood the mission from the start, he might have felt a lot less pressure to save Jesus. Sure, Peter probably still would have fallen asleep while he was praying. Probably would have kept his sword in its sheath when the Roman soldiers came. He might have denied Christ, and he may have wept bitterly when Jesus was crucified. But he wouldn't have felt that pressure. Sometimes the pressure that we feel is an indication that we're on the wrong mission. The pressure that we feel to keep our family together, to keep our kids in line, to keep our witness strong, to keep our morality high, that pressure in a sense is is a good thing, but in another sense, sometimes we feel it because we think that it's our job to not mess up. When a lot of freedom comes in knowing that we've been forgiven, that we've been saved, and that we have the power to represent him not by doing good, but simply by living for him. There's a lot of freedom in raising kids knowing that the results aren't up to us, that we do our best and we pray and we discipline and we come alongside and half the time we don't know what we're doing, but we know that we have this stewardship from God to do the best we can and the results are his. There's a lot of freedom in knowing that even when you fail, God can use your failings to transform the world around you. That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. There's a lot of freedom in knowing that when you say the wrong thing, God can use it anyway. That when you're weeping bitterly, you find forgiveness and restoration and a new chance at leadership again. You read the book of Acts, Peter is a totally different man. He stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches a risen Lord and thousands are saved. He walks through the courtyard with John and doesn't deny Jesus there. He raises a man who's been paralyzed there. He stands before the Sanhedrin or he stands before the the leaders and instead of, of saying something dumb, he stands firm in his faith. Peter is no longer living to prevent the crucifixion. He's living in the power of the resurrection And everything changes. 
today, if you need to live in the power of the resurrection, you've got to go through the cross to get there. That cross that Jesus was trying, that Peter was trying so hard to prevent Jesus from heading towards was inevitable. He went to that cross to bring forgiveness to us when we sin. And if you come in here this morning with pressure, with baggage, with sin, with anxiety, Jesus says, cast it on me, I care for you. He'll remove that guilt, he'll remove that shame, he'll remove that sin because he paid for it on the cross. And he'll replace it with freedom and joy and cleanliness and restoration and second chances and 72nd chances. Because he doesn't want us to live to prevent the crucifixion. He wants us to live in the power of his resurrection. Let him swap out your guilt, your pressure, with freedom, with joy, even now. Let's pray and let's ask him to do that. Father, we admit that so often we feel that pressure. And it always starts as good pressure. We, we want to do right. We want to honor you. We want to live for you. And so often something switches and, and we start to feel like it's our job to, to keep it together so that you will be honored. We thank you that you sent your son to this world to live the perfect life and then die the death that we earned, rising from the dead to give us the life that he deserved. We pray that you would help us understand more and more what it means to live in the power of the resurrected Jesus. That you'd move us from pressure to freedom. That you'd move us from fear to courage. That you'd move us from guilt to joy as we find Jesus day after day and he restores us anew. This morning I pray for anyone who comes in here who have been living on the other side of the cross their whole lives. They've never found the forgiveness of Christ and the power of his resurrection. They've been living for themselves or living to try to please you. We pray that they would bring those things to you now and find forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ. That they'd find life and power in the resurrection of your son. And they'd walk out of this room with the pressure lifted and replaced with the freedom that only Christ can bring. Your word tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free so that we should no longer be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Allow us to release the yoke that we've been carrying, the burden we've been lifting for so long, and find freedom in the death and resurrection of your son. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.